Meet the Pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Macrow. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now, your hosts. Matt Mallory and Clint Macro. Welcome to Meet the Pressers. This is our new show, right, Matt? A new chapter in life. And a new chapter, yes, sir, Bob. Or yeah, Meet Clint. the Pressers. This this is going to be a safe place for for us and for all kinds of people that want to tune in. We're going to talk about training and education, a little bit on products and gear and different equipment that might be available to instructors and people who decide to use a firearm for personal defense or other items as well. And we also are going to talk about politics and activism, all these things that we generally aren't uh, encouraged to. to talk about. It's taboo. Yeah, but I think it's important. As, as a well-rounded, educated, law-abiding citizen, we need to be active politically. That doesn't mean you need to go to a rally and, and, and uh, wave a flag, perhaps, but, you know, keeping an eye on what's happening in your state capitals, what's happening in your cities, what's happening nationally. And, yeah. You know, people will trip all over themselves at the NRA show to go touch the new uh, new SIG, but try to get them to send an email or call their legislator when they're trying to push through a, a bill that might affect their ability to even own that gun is uh, doesn't make any sense to me. So we're going to talk about that and try to educate you at least on what we can find uh, federally and in, in New York and here and in Pennsylvania and encourage you to be active uh, politically, that's important, and that's going to be part of what we talk about in this show. Yeah, we want to hear from you guys. We want to hear what other things you want us to talk about. What other segments of those individual things that Clint just mentioned uh, that you want us to talk about? You, know, you guys are going to drive it, like they do on MythBusters. Clint and I have talked about this at MythBusters. You know, you make the show. You guys telling us what you want us to say here. You know, product reviews, stuff like that. When we do shows, we'll be in uh, the USCC Expo. Both of us will be down there teaching and and helping out at the range at the ranges there. Um, for the USCCA coming up in May. So while we're there, if there's certain things, if you want to be on the show, we're going to be doing some some uh, filming there on the show, uh, of the show there at the expo. So keep that in mind and uh, just give us as much information as you can so that we, we can make the best show that you'll want to uh, check in on and spread the word for us. Absolutely. This, this show is going to be geared towards our fellow law-abiding citizens. Amen. Whether you're your own family first responder, an educator, a police officer, a housewife, whatever, if you're a law-abiding citizen and you have any interest in these topics, please tune in and bring your friends with you. Most definitely. So why don't we start with uh, a little intro as far as each of us, Clint, and get, get the people, the, the new viewers and listeners into a little bit more about us. That's right, because I have a crowd and you have a crowd, and yeah. they probably don't you know, know each them of together. us. together. That's right. You know, I, I have a crowd. I can I can guarantee I pack them in by the fives. That's how big my crowd is. <laughs> uh, I, I've got a course tomorrow. I've got f 52 people. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm excited about that. That's uh, not the biggest one I've taught, but it's definitely going to be going to be fun. And is that going to be a, a 52 to one instructor ratio in the firing line? How's that going to work for you? It's, it's all classroom. Thank God. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's no, it's a New York people to get their pistol license in the state. So it's a four hour handgun safety course, all classroom, all lecture, uh, pass around 
pass around uh, different parts and pieces of guns and, and such like that and am, ammo boxes and casings. But yeah, no, uh, no live fire, not 52 to one. That would be, <laughs> that would be irresponsible. And I might get my credentials revoked if I did something like that. Of course. And I, I, I don't insinuate that you would <laughs> no, actually. No, no, no. So we both, uh, we spent a lot of time training and educating our fellow citizens. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I can speak for myself. It's it's more of a full-time gig for me now as it is with you. Yeah. Why don't you tell us your background and how you got into doing this? Oh, geez. Okay, so I started hunting as a kid, uh, BB guns, frog gigging as a kid, stuff like that. Just uh, good old outdoors, whatever was fun. You know, sun came up, outdoors, sun went down, my mom wanted me home. I mean, that's kind of how I grew up. Uh, hunting and such. Went into the military, so got more advanced in the firearms, uh, rifles, hand, uh, hand-to-hand combat, stuff like that. Uh, and then after the military, went into restaurant management, which is kind of odd. But in high school, I also did electronic technology at BOCES. I got a uh, certification in that. So it was kind of the electronics part portion, which I am doing now, obviously, in my one of my businesses. Uh, fast forward after after the restaurant business, I started my own tech company about 20 years ago. And during the years of doing the tech company, I was teaching people, teaching people how to use computers. Uh, I was an adjunct professor at a couple colleges, uh, actually doing uh, work there, teaching uh, students in the class how to put computers together, how to troubleshoot them, how to fix them, repair them, upgrade them, etc. Um, from there, I moved into wanting to find something after I got out of the military I wanted to find something that I could do that was military related I was missing that part in me and uh, that's where Civil Air Patrol came along I was able to volunteer my time with the auxiliary of the United States Air Force and at one of the wing conferences I actually seen a cadet with a NRA rifle badge on and I thought that was kind of interesting so I asked her you know why she how she got it you know etc come to find out it was the only outside agency allowed uh, a badge or a ribbon from any outside agency that was the only one that was allowed so ended up uh, looking into that found out the curriculum hired a couple NRA instructors I think three or four and we put a small class on at that point I thought you know I could probably teach this curriculum it seems seems pretty good I like it and, and I've got the experience background with the military hunting etc uh, so right about that time I got my hunter ed certification to start teaching hunter education courses in the state uh, ended up getting the rifle course rifle instructor course shortly after that at that course they said the boy scouts need a shotgun instructor so i went and got my shotgun instructor certification at that course the training counselor very good salesman at that course he said yep uh we got a pistol one coming up do you want to get your pistol instructor certification i'm like yeah he sounds good he got you yeah he got, he got yeah. it yeah Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did that, and then um, uh, right about that time, I, I got on right after that, actually, after I got my pistol instructor certification, I got on the list for Onondaga County to be able to teach the handgun safety course for the county. Um, that was a funny story. I called down and said, I'm a pistol instructor, and I, I'd like to teach the course to my wife so she can get her pistol license. Is that okay? And, and the guy goes, well, yeah, I approve it. Yeah, that's fine. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, what does it take to teach the general public the course? He's like, well, send me your credentials. I sent him my credentials. He goes, uh, yeah, okay. A week later, he goes, send me the curriculum. I'm like, uh, putting the curriculum together in, in <laughs> record time. Sent that to him. And about two and a half weeks later, I was on the list, and I taught my first course. Neat story as well. At the club that I'm teaching at tomorrow, many years ago, is the same club that I taught my very first uh, handgun safety course and actually started making a profit in this industry. That's um, cool. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I just kept adding on more certifications. Uh, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a uh, classroom junkie, range junkie. I always like to learn from other instructors. I, I, I in 
encourage my students to take classes, not just from me, but from other instructors, because it's a perishable skill. And if they're not out there continuously practicing and, and training, then it, it will degrade, just like riding a bike degrades. So uh, fast forward, oh, my, my tech company, I've kind of like, like you, uh, you'll allude to as far as your, your audio uh, business, the recording business is kind of gone to the wayside. I'm still doing some. I've got some some clients that I've been doing work for for many years. and uh, But the 20 years of doing the tech industry has been overshadowed now by the six or so years of me doing firearms instruction and now traveling the country with doing firearms instruction and being pro staff for laser ammo and mantis and uh uscca and, and such it's been a, it's really been a blessing and and i love it i love the technology industry too it's always changing firearms industry really doesn't change as much uh but there is a lot of different ways to present things and i think that's what is the one of the big allures to me is to learn a different way of saying something or presenting something to a student that might not get it um if you just showed it in a, showed it to them in black and white you may Maybe you got a hands-on. Maybe you've got to show a video, props, etc. Well, that's kind of why why we started this too. Yeah, to definitely. give us more avenues to help educate our fellow fellow citizens. Yeah, most definitely. So yeah, tells- we you and I met first with a USCCA, right? Is that where we first met? Um. Yeah, I think it was because I think it was the USCCA at one of the shows. I think you were you were at one of the booths, and you know I, I had heard about you or seen seen some of the videos you you've done for the NRA and USCCA. So that kind of uh, I just made it a point I think to say hi to you, and yeah, I think that's how we originally. And then this came about because of the course that you hosted, the UTM, last month, which was good, yeah, great, awesome, yeah. loved that course. Yeah, we had Jeremy Hassenkamp from uh, UTM come out yeah. and put on as a level one and level two instructor course which is fantastic it was a great opportunity yes but you had done a show before with a previous a previous co-host yep. and you had consulted with me on what equipment to buy for the audio side of it and you you put some money into that and some time and effort and energy and and uh when that stopped happening i thought man you you need to utilize that that asset repurpose it and people have been telling me for years why don't you do a, a show and i thought well hey this is maybe this is maybe a, a time to do that yeah so here we are most definitely it's tough it would be tough to do it by yourself and that's why you know having a co-host the, the yin and the yang the being able to you know the pitter patter and the the going off of each other that that really uh it really makes the show, I think, uh, and, and it's you, know, you got to have like-minded people and people that have different, somewhat different backgrounds. Audio, computers, you know, having that is a background too, is a, a foundation or something we can build off in a different different aspect. And bring, Absolutely, and military and law enforcement, civilian. There, that's that's another <laughs> a way to look at it too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, but um, so tell us a little bit about your background. I see all your audio equipment in the back there, and I obviously I'm uh, curious, as as all the viewers and listeners are, to know how you went from audio and visual or the audio sense. Actually, into this is just a this is just a backdrop, like they have at Walmart. Just, like when you see the Hawaiian sunset, it, this is just a backdrop. It's all cardboard, no, right? Just painted cardboard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with little LED lights in it. <laughs> No, actually, I, I grew up in uh, north central Pennsylvania, up in the mountains. So uh, there you get a gun before you can ride a bicycle. And so I grew up around firearms. It was just part of life. Yeah. I actually took a firearm to school once, and, and the principal was like, hey, what do you got? Keep it in your locker. Right. You know, we were going hunting afterwards. That, that was a different time, granted. And, and going to north central Pennsylvania is somewhat of taking a step back in time. But while I was there uh, growing up, my family had a country band. 
And we were the only band around, so we played everyone's weddings, everyone's birthday party and stuff. And, and I uh, learned about recording uh, during that time, and I came to, Pencil- or to Pittsburgh. At the time, there were some uh, commercial studios there, and I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh and, and kind of decided that, that uh, audio production was going to be where I wanted to focus my, my, uh, my attention to. Went out to Los Angeles, worked out there for uh, 14 and a half years working in the music and film industry. And while I was there, I started teaching at Los Angeles Recording Workshop, teaching how to mic nice. up drums and, and produce records and speak guitar player to get a good performance out of them. And uh, uh, my best friend at the time, and he's still my best friend, Torrance, he, he at the time was an armorer, worked in Hollywood as an armorer. So he would bring Christian Bale to, this, to the uh, range and teach him how to run a carbine so he looked like he knew what he was doing on camera. And so when he would go to the range, he'd ask me to come along with him and uh, me and a, a few other guys that he had worked with. And one time, one of them brought their their wife with him and said, hey, teach her to shoot because I don't want to teach her. Or she won't listen to me. You know, we've heard these kind of mm-hmm. things before. Yep. So I enjoyed her attention. She was a very attractive woman, but I got her teaching her grip and stance and she was starting to punch paper pretty well. And, and uh, one of them said, hey, you ought to become an instructor. And I said, gee, how do I become an, an instructor? I am not from a law enforcement or military background. I, I thought that you had to be in order to be an instructor. I'm like, well, no, no. And they explained about the NRA programs, uh, the civilian ratings. And so I found a training counselor in L.A., um, wow. Mike Farrow, because of him. He kind of put me off on my path. And, and uh, Mike, his day job was he was a recording engineer. He records all of the uh, scores for the Coen brothers and a few other big-time uh, big time composers in uh, in Hollywood. So we had that in common. And when I moved back to Pennsylvania in 2010, uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to come back home to PA to raise our son. Uh, the Sportsman's Club I found, I joined, and then I drew a circle around it. And that's where I bought my house in, in the radius of that club because I love the club. But at the time, we were teaching classes once a week, full NRA classes. And so I got a lot of time there and training counselor program was on the road in 2013 and that's when i became a tc for for nra and at that point in time i decided to really just kind of dedicate time effort and energy to it as a business pursuit and i was doing pretty well at it and one day one of my students said because of what you taught me i will never be a victim again and that's when it really clicked in my head about the responsibility i had the leadership role that i was taking on and so I, I kind of looked at that as, as God putting a door in front of me <laughs> and saying, hey, go through here. And, and since that time, uh, it's just grown and grown and grown and things have, have been happening. And, and I'm now moving more into a, a larger regional, potentially national scale as far as uh, my influence. I, I owe a great deal of that to Mike Hughes from Next Level Training. Yep. Uh, it was due to Mike's uh, initial... Uh, uh, campaigning, for lack of a better term, with with, <laughs> the, uh, with with the headquarters with NRA, that I was able to do those videos for the Simco or the the Pistol Marksmanship Simulator training course, and that was really the the first step uh, in being able to broaden my influence. And I thank Mike Hughes and and Britt for that. Uh, they really kind of went to bat for me, and from there it kind of snowballed. And I've been doing a lot with USCCA over the last yeah. couple of years. Uh, Rob Pincus has has been very very helpful as a mentor and and a friend, and uh, certainly just spreading the information. Man, I really enjoy getting out there and and helping to motivate my fellow citizens, especially the folks that want to become instructors and and share 
share that knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can do this. It's something that we can all do if we want to put the time, effort, and energy into it, and uh, really perfect our craft so that we can bring that information out. It's really enlightening when you have somebody in a class, and, and I know you agree that that you teach them. And by the end of the class, it's that light bulb that pops off, and they're just like, oh, I can do this. This isn't as intimidating, or this isn't as, as uh, um, uh, frazz, you know, it doesn't frazzle them as much. And, and they walk away with this, this confidence that they can protect themselves, that, you know, that they're on a path, uh, or they get the bug, and now they want more training and more guns and more ammo. So it's, it's, really, uh, it's really neat. That's what I, the part that I love, that the part that I love is to teach somebody something and then have them walk away with, the, with more knowledge that could literally save their lives. Sure. And once they take that first step, you know, it's like we'll yeah. teach uh, refuse to be a victim or <laughs> personal protection in the home or, or the USCCA's Concealed Carry and Home Defense Fundamentals. You know, we talk about just check those screws in the latch plate of your front door and, yep. and take those little quarter one inch out ones and put three inch ones in there. I've had more people say, hey, I did that. You're right. The screws were short and I put three inch screws. Now my door's stronger. And now I think I'm going to do this. And now I think I'm going to do that. And, yep. and it starts to snowball. And that's, I mean, that's one of the reasons why we got into installing ballistics film. So installing ballistics film on windows and in schools and churches and businesses and even homes we've done it at is because that glass only keeps good people honest, right? Back in the day when we had castles, they didn't have glass. They had moats and drawbridges and little windows like this that were little cuts in the sides of the stone like this that they could shoot arrows out and such. Uh, there, there was no such thing as windows. And uh, people are just in mean, Columbine. That's how they got into Columbine. They shot the glass, walked in the in the door. So that's they putting pulling putting that mindset in them that the glass, the door shut isn't going to stop a bad guy if they really want to get in and, and adding more things to slow them down. And then obviously more equipped individuals inside the building to fight back and know how to fight back and have tools to fight back with you know that's uh that that right there's a that next echelon that we're trying to accomplish with my company cool cool yeah i mean it's interesting you brought that up i mean that's how and i won't say his name because i don't believe in that but the uh the uh evil individual at sandy hook he popped the window came in and shot the principal i believe it was the principal the person that was able to hit the alarm to let everyone know yep he was shot first, so they, they were unaware of what was going on. So that first line of defense was with glass, especially having those window treatments. We kind of went off on a side trip there, but I think that's good information to talk about. Yeah. That's yeah. not nearly as expensive as people think either, right, in the grand scheme of life? No, I mean, if you're going to replace the windows and put uh, bulletproof windows or even ballistics glass in there, then it's, it's less costly than that. Um, and we're doing, uh, it depends on the location. It depends on how many windows, you know, the, if there's only a few windows and it's going to be more pricely because we got to, I got to send employees out there to, to do it. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's kind of, you, you kind of look at it like insurance. If you don't have it, you're going to wish you had it after the fact. If you don't have the, the, at least ballistics film on the windows or, uh, ballistics glass, then, you know, you're going to wish you had it if something happens and we can't pick and choose where these bad guys are going to go. It's, it's random. They're going to, they're going to show up whenever wherever they're going to pick a target based on whatever so you don't usually based on the fact that people in there are disarmed and they have no way to defend themselves no guns yeah no guns uh zones right signs gun gun free zones yeah that's that's a evil magnet yeah 
most definitely. And yeah. uh, and now in New York State, because I know we want to talk about politics, New York State, there used to be a law that said that the, the school superintendent and or the school board, some official at the school, could give written permission to somebody to carry on school property. So teachers, mm-hmm. parents, whoever. And most schools wouldn't do it in New York, but there had been a couple schools that actually hired me to teach their staff how to isolate targets and not shoot, you know, shoot a bad guy and hit somebody inadvertently on the other side, you know, knowing mm-hmm. your target and behind behind or knowing you're targeting what's beyond mindset um and then once they passed the class which i did the the uscca course once they passed that dsf course then i give them a, a written or the school would give them that written permission to be able to carry uh, firearms on the school well new york state now is trying to get rid of that because they don't believe that anybody should be in the school with a firearm other than police or school resource officers or armed security guards which we know mm-hmm. that works well based on what happened in florida right yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of one of the core beliefs of National Train a Teacher Day, which I, I will get to at some point in time here is, is we believe that any law abiding citizen should be able to defend themselves with a firearm. Amen. And if they happen to be a teacher or a school staff or administrator, they should have every right to do that at work, just like they would at the park or at at the mall, what have you. You know, uh, I'm not for a national arm the teacher program. I think that's a horrible idea. But we should allow law abiding citizens who who have taken on that responsibility in their own life to defend themselves. They should be allowed to do that where they work as well. Well, and, and the concept I, I, I was telling you before that I had some lady walk by. I was doing a booth at the Minorities and Criminal Justice Symposium in Syracuse last year. And lady walks by the booth and she looks and she sees a bunch of guns and they're all they're all airsoft guns, laser ammo products I had set up. And she walks by and she goes, oh, I heard they're going to start arming teachers. When that happens, I'm retiring. I was like, uh, okay, you guys have fire extinguishers at the school, right? And she's like, well, yeah. And I was like, you know how to use it? She goes, yeah. So, well, they don't expect you to be a firefighter. It's a tool that can save a life, just like a gun. They don't expect you to be a cop. But if you know how to use it, it can save a life. And she was like, ah, oh, and a light went off as the smoke started coming out her ears, right? Absolutely. If, if you understand how the gun works, right. it can help to empower you. Even if you don't want to actually pick it up and use if you know how it works, that can certainly empower you and, and maybe give you an opportunity to, to intervene. Most definitely. A lot of people get in the mindset that if they're armed, they're going to be looking for the bad guy. And and I never condone that. I mean, it, we always use the mentality of gunshots are here, civilians should be doing this. If gunshots are here, police are doing this, right? It's You're retreating from the situation if you can do so safely. In New York State, you're, you're duty-bound to do so under the law. But when it comes to teachers or somebody in the school being armed, they're, they're armed as a last resort, just like civilians we teach here in New York is, it, you know, do everything you can not to be in that gunfight. And it, it's the same way with that. If you're in a school, in a classroom with kids and you're armed, then that gun is to stop that bad guy from killing you or those kids in that room, not for you to leave those kids in the room and run around the, yeah. the place and shoot the, try to shoot the bad guy. That's a great point, yeah. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, they're going to be a, you know, a vigilante now running through trying to find this active killer, and, you know, that's, that's not the case, and that's not what I'm condoning. It's a mis, uh, misnomer. Well, I mean, it's just like we teach in any of the home defense curriculum that, that, that either of us offer. You know, we want to, if at all possible, evade and barricade in some type of a safe environment and then guard the door. Yep. You know, and then that way, if that person does decide to come through, well, you've done everything you can to avoid it. But also now you have tactical advantage. 
you know, if I'm watching that door and that bad guy decides to breach that door and do harm to me or my children, then I'm, I'm ready for it there. So we even have a higher level of anticipation, which can actually help us with our balance of speed and precision too. <laughs> Working that uh, DSF in there. I love that. Uh, it's, it's part, I've drank the Kool-Aid man, oh, man years ago. Good. It's good. Definitely. Years ago. I love the, I love the curriculum. Yeah. I, I went out to Wisconsin in August and that to get level one and then Reno, uh, in October to get level two. And it's, uh, uh, now we're bouncing that. around here a little bit for, for those of you that don't know DSF is defensive shooting fundamentals. It's a program uh, developed by USCCA, which was uh, or originally developed and designed by Rob Pincus. And it was kind of a, uh, a marriage, so to speak, of resources. And that new program has come out through the USCCA. So it's based on on Rob's uh, counter ambush methodology. Which, uh, as I said, I've I've been a huge proponent of that for years. I've been teaching uh, Rob's ICE curriculum uh, for about two years now, maybe three years. I'd have to look at my look at my day time to figure out what year it, it is. It all runs into each other. It certainly does, man. But uh, it's a wonderful program, and both both of us are offering it. And I'm actually doing some instructor development with that later on. We'll talk about that when we go into our schedule. Maybe this is a good uh, opportunity good to transition into the schedule. Yeah, definitely. So, so what do you got coming up? Oh, goodness. Uh, do Weekly, we're doing New York handgun safety courses. So all over the state, everywhere from out by Buffalo down to Bath, Rod, and Gun Club. We're working on trying to get more south down by in Broome County, um, more out east towards uh, Oneonta. Uh, and then obviously up north, as far we go usually is Clay, but I've, we've gone as far as up to uh, Watertown area to teach them as well. Uh, multi-state courses, I'm teaching uh, Long I- in Long Island with uh, Top Shot. Frank Maloney, one of the top shots is on the History Channel. Uh, he's bringing me down there to teach him a multi-state course. I think we've got 16 students signed up for that, which is which is awesome. And I do those about every three months. But funny thing, this month I actually am doing it four four times this month. I did one at Bath, doing one in Newark. Uh, I've got one tomorrow at Pompey Red and Gun Club, and then doing one in uh, uh, Oneonta and then Long Island. So actually five this month scheduled. So in New York, as far as uh the requirements and whatnot is is every county like its own country like they all have their own king in the sheriff's department i don't mean that to sound as derogatory yep. no, as no 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 it's, off, but... it's totally derogatory that's good i, I like that that's, that's <laughs> fitting that's fitting so yeah the uh it's called a licensing officer so in the penal code it's called a licensing officer and all of upstate and long island well i should say all of upstate it's a judge uh, one judge is the licensing officer, but some counties have more than one judge that actually approves licenses. Uh, in New York City and Long Island, the licensing officer would be law enforcement, so either the the sheriff or the uh, NYPD in New York City in that case. Uh, and yeah, and they and literally it, it's drastically different. For instance, Cortland County, you got a heartbeat, you get an unrestricted license. Onondaga County, you've got to give proper cause is what they call it in the penal code. The county judge uh, will look at your proper cause reasoning, and if it's good enough, then he will issue you an unrestricted license. If it's not good enough, then they'll just give you a sportsman restriction, which is basically good for hunting, hiking, camping, fishing, target shooting, competition shooting, though that's not spelled out in the penal code. So truly, that administrative restriction is just that. They're not breaking the law, but the judge could revoke their license if they go against that judge's edict. So it's, uh, I usually tell people, work with the judge, try to get that restriction removed. Uh, I try to meet with the judges at least once a year and have lunch with them, actually um, meeting with one of the judges uh, tomorrow, uh, actually Monday, uh, to, to go over some stuff. So, uh, hmm. yeah, it's, it, it is. It's night and day. It's, it's crazy how one county, they won't issue anything but sportsmen. Other counties, they'll issue you uh, full unrestricted. It's, it's definitely 
Now, can if, if I live in County A, can I go to County B and get a permit, or do you have to stay local? So it's typically the county that you live in. There are a f- few counties, two or three that I know of right off the top of my head, that actually if you work in that county, you can apply in that county. Um, so, uh, And they also have some concessions with Pennsylvania. So if you live down in like Broome County, down in that area at the bottom of New York State, and you live in Pennsylvania, then you can get a non-resident if you work in Broome County but live in PA. So they do allow that a little bit as well. And that, once again, comes back to the judge and the sheriff in that county and how pro-Second Amendment are they and you know mm. if they really believe in citizens protecting themselves and that law enforcement can't be everywhere all the time. Yeah, that's terribly cumbersome. Oh, yeah. It's, it wow. is definitely uh, crazy. Well, and, you know, when we get into our, into our, uh, our uh, political activism segment, right. you know, we, it's part of our job. Our job is to obey the law. Yeah. And when laws suck, we need to do something about it. So we'll, we'll kind of table that thought for a moment. So with, with uh, mandatory training, is there mandatory training in every county? Depends on the county. Um, okay, so that's, again, that's up to that that controlling, yep. no. well, up to the king, I'll say again. I do mean that to be derogatory, and, but I can say that because I live in Pennsylvania. And uh, the King, king Cuomo, are, they're currently in the process of trying to make it so there is mandatory training across the state. There's a bill that they introduced that they're trying to get pushed through, and being that all houses are run by uh, Democrats now, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen, where they want to make it where uh, you have to do a five-hour class with live fire, with a written test, um, as well as they want to add where if you want to buy a long gun, listen, want to buy a long gun, you have to have a hunting license. Hmm. Wow. So, so they're really trying to tie the Second Amendment to hunting, right? And even though the Second Amendment has the word bear in it, we know that has nothing to do with hunting, right? But yeah. keep, keeping the government in check and personal protection. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that mandatory training sets up an industry of the lowest common denominator. Now, do I think training is important? Absolutely. I mean, it's how I essentially make my living as you, as do you, but mandatory training, it's, it's usually set up by these arbitrary standards that are oftentimes put in place by people that know nothing about firearms. And you know, what good is that? Plus then someone who doesn't have training they take whatever you know whatever class they're they're required to take and now they felt that they've met a standard that's set forth by the government and and they that's believe they that need. they're ready you're yep. good i'm ready to go and of course we know you know when is to you know how long is a piece of string we can't say what's going to be enough training and and those of us that take on that responsibility and make it a lifestyle choice there's never enough training you know we right. need to continuously grow and develop and evolve and uh the mandatory training i think that sets up the wrong the wrong outcome. And, and I've always been, I mean, in the same, same boat, like you just mentioned, it's, it's how I make my living as well. And it's, it's frustrating to me because if, if you don't make it mandatory, people won't do the training. They, they'll just say, well, uh, that's not mandatory. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get a gun. I'm going to carry it on me. And as we know, most people shoot themselves, either drawing the firearm or reholstering the firearm. So I, I, yeah, I struggle I, with that because I don't, but, but I, don't I tell you what, it, coming, Coming from Pennsylvania, where there is no mandatory training, at least as it as now it stands, right. and if I have anything to do with it, that's how it'll stay. But uh, my classes fill up. All the trainers that I train in Pennsylvania, they their classes fill up. People want the training, yeah. and you know to say that no one will take classes, uh, no. I think that's an inaccurate statement. Yeah, I don't think it would be no one, but I know here in New York, at least, any class that's mandatory. 
packed the doors. I mean, I, I think I had my New York course where they, to, they had to take the course to get their license in most of the counties in central New York. Uh, 82 people is the most I've ever had in one class. Whereas another course such as uh, driver's ed or boater's ed, um, well, boater's ed is not a good example because they got to take that if they want to do a, uh, a jet ski. But, you know, dr driver's ed to get point reduction, that's a hard one to fill. OC, pepper spray. For somebody to take a pepper spray course, that's something that's not mandatory, not required. And it's hard to get people to take that course because it's not a mandatory course. And they don't think that they need that. Oh, I, I, I can carry pepper spray. Legally, I don't need to take a course. And they just carry it. So once again, I, I'm opposed to man mandatory training, but there's got to be a, a, at least in New York state, uh, it doesn't sound like you have the issue as much in your state, but uh, in New York state, there's got to be a, a change in mindset that, that training is good and people need to seek it out. So that way that they're better prepared. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a lot of times in, in states where it's required, there's a negative stigma to it because, yeah. oh, doggone it, I got to take, yeah, I got to take this. Yeah, but if you, if you look at look at how many people are taking the class so that they can get their magic plastic card to put their shirt over their gun, or in, right. in your case, they have to get a magic plastic card to even go buy a firearm. Is that correct? Or is that is that a false? They, they have to have the pistol license. They can't even touch a handgun without having that license. They go into a so, gun store and say, let me, can I look at that gun? Do you have a pistol license? No. Nope. Go get a pistol license. You can come back and touch it. Which I think is one of the reasons NRA pushed forth the uh, the uh, pistol marksmanship simulator training program because you're able to use a cert pistol yeah. or another laser training device. That's yeah. that's pretty interesting. But you you have people filling up these classes, and that just goes to show that the citizens want to yeah. you exercise their Second Amendment rights. Very true. I agree with that at 100. percent Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, what other classes do you have coming up? Do you have anything uh, out of town, anything big? I, um, I know you're going to be hosting some pretty cool folks coming up. got a Simcoe. So you mentioned Simcoe. I do a Simcoe 1, which is the NRA's simulated course. They get an NRA certificate. And then after that, I do a Simcoe 2, which is basically draw and shoot. I teach them uh, biomechanical stop, uh, orient towards the target, extend touch press. And we go through that for two hours, teaching them how to draw and reholster. And then I do a Simcoe 3, which is a draw and shoot, uh, shoot don't shoot, to be able to allow people to actually run a scenario and see okay should I shoot shouldn't I shoot so that's something that I've I've evolved because a lot of people they have to wait three six months sometimes up to a year to get a pistol license after they apply for it so during that time wow. I have courses that I'm, I'm providing to them so they can get that training and that knowledge and also have good uh, certificates to submit with their application to possibly achieve the unrestricted unicorn of courses or uniform unicorn of cards if you will uh, I also do Article 35, Use of Force course. We talk about use of force, deadly force, physical force, uh, castle doctrine, stand your ground, which isn't here in New York, uh, unlike Florida and some other states they have. So those are those. And then as far as uh, uh, events we have or other people we have coming in, I've got Larry Vickers coming in to do a mark pistol marksmanship coming up in August, as well as a uh, AR operator and an AK operator Saturday and Sunday. And then I've got uh, TIG, John Tijan. John Tijan's coming in in October to do a charity event. And five lucky winners get to go out to the range with him on Sunday, actually have lunch with him, and then go to the range and get to shoot some cool guns like my Uzi, my Tommy gun, AK-47s, uh, Mosin Nagant, and Barrett. We talked to Barrett, and Barrett said they, uh, they're going to see if they can get a 50 BMG out there for us to shoot too. Cool, cool. It's a lot of fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, John Tigan, I he was actually on my squad uh, when I the first year I competed at the uh, NRA World Shooting yeah. Championship. I'm not a competitor. I don't come from that background at all. And actually, some of the competitions don't really make a whole lot of sense to me coming from a defensive, uh, you know, a defensive training background. 
but uh, he was on my squad. Yeah, I don't know if he'd remember me because I was very unremarkable in that venue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And Vickers, Vickers bought something off of me off Gunbroker once. I'm pretty sure. I can't imagine there's many guys named Larry Vickers. Probably that's not. A, that's a pretty, pretty uh, unique name. Yeah, especially in the gun industry at that. Yeah. So what, uh, yeah. what courses do you do you have coming up? Do you have any? Well, this year's been pretty cool. Last year I've been in a I've been traveling around to a whole lot of states. I think I was in seven different states last year, if I recall off the top of my head. Wow. This year already I've done classes in Virginia, of course in Pennsylvania on in both both coasts of Pennsylvania, if you will. And I was up in uh, New Jersey. I did a class up there, a USCCA certified instructor course for the Concealed Carry Home Defense Fundamentals nice. uh, curriculum. So I've been bouncing around. I have. Um, Let's see. I'm slated to be in Wisconsin on May 3rd, 4th, and 5th. Uh, that's tentatively put in my book, uh, going out and helping uh, train the, the new uh, DSF instructors out there at USCCA headquarters. Uh, May 6th, I'm going to be at the uh, Second Amendment rally in Harrisburg. So actually, if, if I am in Wisconsin, I'm going to have to fly from Wisconsin to Harrisburg and go to the rally wow. and then come back here the next day because I'm hosting Rob Pincus. On uh, May 7th, 8th, and 9th, he's doing an intuitive defensive shooting course, a two-day on May 7th and 8th. And then on May 9th, he's doing an advanced pistol handling course, which is a lot of fun. Uh, then the 17th, 18th, and 19th of May, the expo is going to be here, USCCA's yes. expo in Pittsburgh. You're teaching. And, uh, what, are you, what are you teaching there? I've got two seminars I'm running on Saturday, one on Saturday, one on Sunday, the uh, Concealed Carry Lifestyle Seminar. I'm doing the same seminar twice. Nice. Uh, which is a, a seminar I put together, which is actually based off of an article I did for a, a personal defense network. Nice. Uh, it was called the Concealed Carry Infrastructure, Citizens Concealed Carry Infrastructure. And I call this the Concealed Carry Lifestyle. It's what I call the seminar. Uh, matter of fact, I did that seminar at the uh, NRA Concealed Carry Expo mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And I threw up some video cameras and videotaped it and cut it together. And Rob Pincus released it on personal defense network so if you want to see what the seminar is about you can see a version of it on personal defense network now i i constantly evolve it they're never quite the same obviously i follow a a pretty reasonable format but it's for anybody mostly it's for people that are just getting into concealed carry or using a firearm as a tool of self-defense maybe that person that has a gun they have it at home maybe they already have their license to carry or their permit depending on where they live yeah, but they just haven't quite made that step to put it on them and carry it with them all the time. And it's important that people recognize it's not just about the gun. The gun is a very small part of it. Right. You know, having having the ability to collect and process information yeah, so mindset. that we can so that we can avoid situations. That's that's the key thing. And then, you know, having a, an efficient holster and having the correct ammunition that's going to be working for them and, and where they might be using the firearm, especially when it gets into the home. My defensive ammo might not be the best choice. If I live in a in a clapboard house that's three inches from my neighbor, you right. know, I, like, like a mining town, we have them around here, where overpenetration might be a real factor to consider. Right. And of course, you know, you having your legal team in place, you know, being able to survive that legal and emotional and financial aftermath. If God forbid we have to press trigger in a in a dynamic critical incident, so it, it talks about a lot of that. That's Obviously, awesome. it talks about training and some things to look for. But I, 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 it's pretty well received, and I look, I, I look forward to putting it on at the expo. Also, Trigger Presses Union will have a booth there. Nice. I won't be at the booth all the time because I'm technically going to be on. I think I'm working for USCCA those three days, and I might be at the UTM range or at the Live Fire range or wherever else they need me to yep. be. 
So it's going to be a good time. Yeah, I forgot to mention, I'll be there uh, doing the pepper spray class. So they've got me yeah. uh, slated to teach pepper spray. I think I'm doing a, two, a one free seminar, a two-hour seminar, and then a four-hour class. And then I'm also going to be on the, uh, the, the podcast there, the Carry Concealed podcast. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I believe I'll be on the podcast too. And my local guys, make sure you go check out Matt's uh, uh, pepper spray course. Me personally, if, if I can't carry my firearm, pepper spray is usually my go-to. Yep. Uh, but it's important, and this is something we talk about in that seminar. It's important to have unarmed skills. It's important to to have other devices at your at disposal that you might employ as a tool of self-defense, to recognize improvised tools. All of that plays into it. Newest one I just got at the uh, ILEDA conference that I was at. I was uh, working pro staff for Laser Ammo this past week at the ILEDA conference. Oh. Wow, look at that. I like it. Spring assisted. Yeah, Raven. you're gonna start. You're gonna start singing like West Side Story now. <laughs> uh, Ravencrest Tactical. That's uh, one of our one of good. our new one of our new sponsors. Yeah, I'll have to get me one of those. You're That's gonna you're gonna get you one of them. <laughs> we will have so, one for you. So June fifth, sixth, and seventh, I'm in Indiana, the state of Indiana. Okay. Local people here will will get that. There's a town called Indiana very close by mm-hmm. here. So I'll be in the state of Indiana on those dates. I'm doing a. Uh, certified muzzleloader instructor course for National Muzzleloading Rifle Association at NMLRA headquarters, which is wow, kind of fun. That's awesome. So that's a really, really cool facility. Uh, June 22nd and 23rd, I'm doing a Defensive Shooting Fundamentals Level 1 instructor development course here in New Kensington, just outside of Pittsburgh. And I'll be doing that one. And uh, uh, Jamie Onion is going to be here uh, with me on that one. Uh, also doing one on July 13th and 14th as well. I have one scheduled here. So if you're not interested in traveling to Wisconsin to get your DSF uh, instructor ratings, you could certainly come here to Western Pennsylvania. Uh, June 29th and 30th, I'm going to be in Massachusetts. That'll be my first class I'm teaching in, in Massachusetts, just outside of Boston in a town called Mansfield. I'll be doing the, uh, USCCA DSF level one on Saturday and then the level two on Sunday. So I'm looking forward to putting that on. Uh, That brings me up to July 20th, which is National Train-A-Teacher Day, which is a nationwide thing. I'll talk about that in a a moment. And the other one I want to mention is August 23rd and 24th, I am hosting uh, Derek Poole. He's one of the senior trainers for ICE Training, Rob Pincus's company, and he'll be putting on a two-day intuitive defensive carbine class, which if you're into carbines, uh, Derek is their rifle guy so by all means uh sign up for that class and join me i'll be taking that one as a student i uh, always enjoy working uh training underneath of derek derek's a great instructor very cool and uh he's he's uh definitely a a lot of fun to work with so that's what i got so far i've got a whole lot of other local classes going on too i uh i forgot to mention that that i i'm going to be in we've got a gun show local gun show syracuse gun show that's in April, April 17th and 18th, I think it is, or 16th and 17th that weekend. Um, so I'll be actually in West Virginia doing a CCHDF instructor course for the USCCA. I'll be heading down doing that while my employees will be at the gun show running our gun show booth. So a lot of a lot of things going on in NRA and USCCA instructor courses. I got them scattered throughout out till June. I'm working on trying to get the schedule out till the end of the year, but it's uh, it's fun trying to manage the business and teach the classes and now run a gun store and have employees doing ballistics film. And I know you deal with the same uh, same kind of stuff. 
Oh, yeah, it's been crazy. And, and locally, we've been threatened as far as our rights are concerned in the city of Pittsburgh and, of course, uh, in, in Harrisburg. Uh, and frankly, across the country, we've seen yeah. uh, we've seen that happen more frequently. And, and I've uh, recently been been elected president of Allegheny County Sportsman's League, and, and we've been moving forward with legal action. And that's been taking a lot of time. Right. Uh, but I, I think it's important. It's very important. Uh, but we'll get more into that when we get into our segment on activism. So if, if I can just jump in here, let's talk sure. about National Train to Teacher Day. Go for it. Okay, well, National Train to Teacher this day, or this year, our second annual National Train to Teacher Day will be on July 20th. That's a Saturday, July 20th. And basically, this started off last year after Parkland. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our colleagues, Grant Gallagher. Do you know Grant? I do. You yep. worked with Grant yep. before. Yeah, I yeah. uh, certified him as a training counselor. Oh, excellent. That's yep. right. That's right. Well, Grant, he he called me up after Park and said, man, we got to do something. I said, well, I mean, that's what everyone was saying at the time. Yeah. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, we need to we need to offer training to teachers. And I said, well, I already do that. I said, so do you, right? And he right. says, yeah. And I said, but his idea was that we we unite as a as a group, as mm-hmm. firearms and defensive educators. Right. And offer training as as a unified front. So he said, what about doing like a, I don't know, National Train of Teacher Day? And I said, I'm on it, brother. And I tell you what, it, it was one of those, one of those, yeah, one of those couple days I didn't sleep. And from the time I hung up the phone, it, two days, two days, I had the website up, I had it built, domain paid for, and man, we were off, on, off to the races. Nice. And in 2018, we did it in May. And we had over 150 instructors in, I want to say, 30, 37 states, mm. 30, 30 some states. It wasn't all 50 yet. I, I'd have to look up the data on that. I don't know off the top of my head. But uh, we offered the training. We got, we got a little bit of uh, national publicity. Uh, Mark Walters from Armed American Radio had me on briefly. And, nice. and there were a few other regional radio stations. And, and each instructor was able to promote it locally. It was very grassroots. And it was successful. So this year, we we decided, based upon some of the some of the after action reports from the end users, we decided to put the class on in the summertime. A lot of the teachers, school staff, and administrators that took part said that they could have brought more people if we did it in the summer months. So okay, we're going to give it a try this year. We're going to try it in in uh, July. So July twentieth. So explain a little bit as far as. When you say the class, is it specific class and curriculum? Is it any class can instructor sign up to do it? Just a quick roll through on the, sure, pro- the sure. process. Well, it's it's our core belief that any education can go towards empowering somebody. Agreed? Yes. Definitely. So, uh, you know, teachers, school staff, and administrators can pick out whatever class they want to teach. Uh, the instructors that volunteer are pledging to give those people, teachers, school staff, and admin, free, total free of charge the training that day. Some some instructors are putting on full classes specifically for for teachers. Other folks are doing their normal open uh, open enrollment classes. And if a teacher or someone happens to sign up, they comp them. You know, they they let them in for free. But we we're requesting our volunteers to teach the standardized courses that you teach. So maybe it's a home defense. Maybe it's a maybe it's just a basic NRA basics of pistol shooting. Maybe it's a home firearm safety class. Maybe it's a full on tactical uh, tactical course. Maybe it's Alice training. Yeah. Whatever the instructor can offer, let them offer it. And the, the teachers are going to pick what's going to work best for them. Lots of people last year were doing stop the bleed classes. Hmm. 
And lots of teachers were taking those courses. You know, some teachers wanted to kind of overcome inhibitions and just learn how firearms work. So the NRA basics of pistol shooting or a home firearm safety course was something that was perfect for them. Other folks wanted to actually learn to carry the gun on them and, and use it in a defensive context. So you know, maybe the the ICE fundamentals of concealed carry or the USCCA's concealed carry and home defense fundamentals was was something that uh, they would look for or the personal protection series through NRA. So it's there's a little something for everyone, but we believe that any class an instructor can give has the potential to empower that that teacher, that that school staff or admin. So we want to empower those who are charged with the education and safety of our children. That's awesome. So, you know, we want we want people to be proactive. That's the big thing. Definitely. So that education will help them do that. So whether that means they can put a gun on them, which may or may not be allowed in their state. Of course, yeah. we're not suggesting that they violate any law. Mm-hmm. But what better advocate for personal liberty is there than a an educated teacher that understands how guns work and knows how to use one properly? Most definitely. So what's the website people can go to to actually register and sign up as a instructor and be able to offer yeah. their services? Yeah, it's it's a national train a teacher day.com www.nationaltrainateacherday.com and on the website you can volunteer to to offer training to those folks if you are one of those folks a, a teacher school staff or admin you can go and find instructors who are teaching in your area and it constantly evolves i actually in the time we set up to the where we are now i've had five more instructors volunteer. So I'm constantly updating that as quickly as I can. So if there's someone not in your area teaching, check it again next week and there very well might be. And frankly, teachers, if there's if you want training and you can't find someone, contact me and I'll see if I can roust up some people nearby you and make that happen. Yeah, with the connections that, that we have with the USCCA and the NRA, it wouldn't be too hard to call up and say, who do we have in this area that's active or who do we have in this area that you could reach out to? Yeah, I think that, that that possibility definitely exists, and I would certainly try to make that happen for anyone that wanted to get, get educated and empowered. Awesome. Cool. So why don't we get into politics? Politics. See, this is the stuff you're not allowed to talk about in most organized classes. Hogwash! Yeah, hogwash. Yeah, you know, I think you it's know why important. that is, though? Because it makes your eyes go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> New training dummy. Yeah, new training dummy. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, <laughs> with with politics and activism, we teach people in our classes to be aware of their surroundings, right? Yep. Looking for for other potential threats and and avoiding bad situations, right? We teach them to retain their firearms so that someone can't steal it from them and take it away from them. Because what good is a tool of self defense if you don't, don't have, have it in it. your hand, right? Exactly. And we teach people to be efficient with how they use their firearm, right? Well. Elected officials can affect all those things. Maybe not in a, an aggressive, overt context, but you know, gun safes don't keep your guns safe from elected officials. True, and that's important to recognize. So, you know, we teach teach people all these these fundamentals and these concepts and principles, but yet we don't talk about the fact that you need to protect your firearms from people who are trying to take them away from you at the state and local level, and and the national level, and the and the way that they hide that in sheep's clothing is by saying, oh, well, who really needs a semi-automatic to hunt animals? Or, you know, why do you need this? Why do you need that? Why do you need so much ammunition to kill an animal? And that's, it's a facade. It's it's just a way for them to keep 
beating away. And we've had recently have had national politicians that have actually said specifically that we want to try to get guns out of everybody's hands. We don't want anybody to have guns and then the bad guys will put their guns down. Huh? I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah, that makes no sense whatsoever. You know, an arm an armed citizenry, I believe, is a is a polite one. And I think you'll see that when you go to the USCCA Expo or if you go to the NRA annual meeting. The vast majority of the people there are armed and the vast majority are are polite. Yeah. They're polite and, and cordial. And I, I think there is something to be said about that. Especially if you're an educated armed individual, you're gonna be much less likely to use the firearm because you understand the the importance of the responsibility of carrying it. So when we get into the, the, the whole bit on activism, we need to pay attention, be situationally aware of what's going on legislatively, and we need to retain our firearms. Let's not let people take them from us, right. because I believe that Second Amendment is for a couple reasons. One, well, you know, it's, it's to protect ourselves, but also the, the, tr the true fourth check and balance of our system of government in this constitutional republic is an educated and armed citizenry. And, and we, we need to exercise that. We need to exercise our rights. Definitely. Yeah, the government strips us from the guns. And, you know, they, you always hear confiscation leads, or registration leads to confiscation. You know, that, that right there, just if you're registering your guns, if, if they're forcing you to register the guns, they know where to come to get them when they're ready to confiscate them. And what's to say that one politician doesn't have that desire to do so, but the next politician says, hey, we got a list of guns. Why don't we just send all these cops out to pick them up? You know, Absolutely. And, and, and law enforcement swear an oath to the Constitution of the United States, but they also swear an oath to the local state. And if the local state's corrupt and the local state has it in their laws to turn in all guns, gun, you know, gun registration, gun buybacks, whatever you, whatever you want to call it for them to try to get those guns back, uh, then that officer is now conflicted because now they're, they have to constitutionally federally and constitutionally state. I and mean, you got conflicting constitutions at two different levels. Well, you've got two things that are going on here. You have well-intended people who are just ignorant as far as how guns work, how criminals work. And they think that by removing all the firearms, it's going to make bad people just decide, oh, you know what? I think I'll just go into duckies and bunnies land and I won't harm anyone. Well, that's not how predators work, man. If they, do a, can, if they decide to ban all fully semi-automatic guns, then, then that's fine. <laughs> yeah, fully semi-automatic. No such thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got those folks. So what they're purporting or what they're promoting is something that's that's hugely flawed and yeah. very inefficient. Right. Or you have the people that may potentially be trying to disarm their population for tyrannical reasons. Yep. And you know, that's just kind of up to you to decide on on where your local elected official lands on that. But either way, it's it's not good for you as the law-abiding citizen because these laws that they pass don't affect the criminals because they don't criminals don't pay attention to the law. I yep. mean, that's that's pretty simple, right? So it's my opinion that any elected official whose answer to a question is to limit the rights of a law-abiding citizen is uh, that's just not an acceptable answer. It's the wrong way to go about it. We had, when the SAFE Act passed in 2013 here, they shoved it down our throat. They, they didn't consult law enforcement at all. Uh, middle of the night, they signed it. The next day, they, they didn't even exempt law enforcement to be able to enforce the law, which means my buddies and I were looking at each other like, are you going to arrest me? No, are you going to arrest me? No, good, okay, we're good. Because every law enforcement officer was breaking the law because they had high-capacity magazines, et cetera, that they weren't supposed to have because they were no longer exempt from the law. It, it, crazy. Um, they actually uh, exempted Hollywood 
prior to finally exempting law enforcement. I mean, that, Interesting. That's, that's how misplaced our po- political uh, uh, landscape is here in New York State. Uh, that's very interesting. I didn't know about the Hollywood bit. That's... Yeah. I met with uh, with one of the assemblymen who voted for it, and, and I asked him, I said, so you're telling me my wife can only have seven rounds of ammunition in her magazine if somebody breaks into the house with 10 or 30 round magazines? Because, you know, before they break into the house, they're, they're going to say, well, oh, I can't have more than seven. I'm only going to put seven in here before I go rob this bank or before I go break into this house because that's the law. If they're going to break the law, they don't care about breaking the law multiple times to carry out that breaking of the law and i just don't see how politicians either like you said they're ignorant in that sense um or woefully uh neglectful in that in that extent where they're trying to take away guns and this is their way they're they're slowly chipping away and eroding to our at our second amendment absolutely so what what are some some pieces of legislation or current situations that are happening in new in new york that you'd like to inform your new york people about um well the red flag they they've They've pushed that uh, out-of-state mental health records. They got a new S2438 that they're they're trying to push through. Uh, safe storage of firearms is, is something as well. Where if somebody's under 16 years old, 16 years old or under in your house, then it has to be unloaded with a trigger lock in the safe locked up. Uh, now my rebuttal to that would be, well, if you're in your home and you have a handgun, then your handgun you should have a handgun on you and loaded because you need to be get to it at a moment's notice. You don't want to run to a safe saying, "Bad guy, hang on a sec, wait, I got to get my gun out." You know, no timeouts when a bad guy's kicking your front door in. So if you have it on you, then you can use that to fight to your long gun. Um, but for those people that don't have a pistol license, now they have to have their long guns if they have somebody 16 or under in their home locked up unloaded with a trigger guard on it, you know, multiple locks, ammunition separate. They just keep uh, making it harder and harder for good people to defend themselves with a firearm. Let alone that 16-year-old that might be home alone. Yeah. If, I mean, if they need to use that firearm to defend themselves. Yeah. Are they, I mean, how, how much practice do they have? Some some cases probably more than the parent, but... <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. Uh, effective background checks. They're trying to do more with restricting background checks. They, they say there's this gun show loophole, but... Uh, you can't, I mean, the gun shows, you're breaking the law by doing it. So if somebody's going to a gun show and they're buying a gun and they're, they're doing this, this this sale of a gun at the gun show without actually going through an FFL to do the, the Nick's background check, then they're breaking the law. So these people are breaking the law already. You're not. Most people are going to try to abide by the law. More laws get in place, who's going to abide by it? The people that want to be legal and law-abiding. The bad guys are just going to say, well, I'm not going to abide by it in the first place. So, yeah, I'm going to go register my illegal gun. It doesn't happen. Um, I think anyway. maybe they should, they should pass a law that makes breaking the law illegal. <laughs> and they should enforce it on the elected officials. Uh, well, yeah. term limits and, and other things like that, making sure that the same laws that they apply to us are upheld by them. That's, that's always been a, a, you know, a Achilles heel for all of us federally, all the way down to New York state specifically yeah. as well. Uh, they did a, a bump stock ban. They're trying to, to, to ban the bump stocks. I, the governor just wants to have something legislatively in his own name. So of course they're trying to do a, a bump more things that they're doing federally, which, you know, it, banning a bump stock is not going to stop bad guys. I mean, you, right. Yeah, we know that. And then uh, other ones. With, piece of plastic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a piece of plastic. I mean, Jerry Mitchlack actually was able to do it faster with his finger. I think there was a video on YouTube where he was able to actuate a gun faster than a bump stock could. I can, I can believe that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got big hands, man. It's like huge. The uh, no arming teachers, the one I was mentioning earlier, as far as uh, not allowing teachers or uh, ushers at churches that are attached to schools, anything like that to be able to to use uh, firearms for self-defense, even if the school administration 
gives them written permission to do so. Um, yeah, so gun buybacks, they're working on trying to do a gun buyback one. Where I don't know all the specifics of it, but it's S2449. So that's another one that they're they're trying to implement. It's it literally once the once the Democrats had control of all areas of the government in New York State, they just started throwing laws. I mean, it left left and right. You know, if you want to get a long gun, now you have to have a hunting license. That's another one they're trying to do. Five hour five hours of training with uh, live fire and a written test in order to get a pistol license. Well, don't don't mislead our viewers. And don't mislead yourself. It's not just the Democrats. No, I, it, I can say totally. in Pennsylvania and nationally speaking, yep. the Republicans are, are pulling this kind of stuff, too, for whatever reason. And, and, and I, I think it's important to recognize that. Most definitely. And, and tr very true. I say Democrats because now it's they have no there's there's no filter. There's no stop in that sense. But the SAFE Act was passed with bipartisan support. So we can't mm -hmm. forget that in New York State. It wasn't just the Democrats. It was the Republicans siding with the Democrats to be able to pass that. And uh, but it, it was very, uh, very small uh, margin that it was passed on. But it was passed. Now there there's no no qualms. They want it passed. It will be passed. There's there's. There's nothing stopping them whatsoever, uh, other than maybe impeachment or another election or God forbid, sure. God forbid, civil war. Right. So would would you would you agree that the vast majority of people that you encounter, especially in classes, are ignorant to what's going on in their legislatures as far as these these kind of laws that are being brought up and, and voted on? Every class I do, I make it a point to bring up A.R., Oh, this guy was in his backyard and he was shooting his AR. And then I stop and I look at the students and I go, what does AR stand for? And, and every class, I've not had one class out of every class that I've taught over the past two, three years that they've said, somebody may say I'm a light rifle, but there is at least one person that says assault rifle or automatic rifle. And of course, mm -hmm. I go through the spiel. It doesn't stand for assault rifle, doesn't stand for automatic rifle. And though I love America, it does not stand for American rifle. <laughs> it stands for Armalite rifle, the company that invented it in the 1950s as a civilian rifle before it became a military rifle. So why all of a sudden now is this, this big black scary gun that's got the acronym AR that people think misplaced, why is it such a bad thing? And it's the people, it's not the tool. Sure, sure. If you if I did an article on Personal Defense Network called uh, "The Semantics of Civilian Civilian Firearms Training," and it gets a little deeper into that. There's a lot of psyops that goes into the words that are used in in the media, and you know the the AR certainly has. There's a whole lot of things that that we've been taught incorrectly from the flashy TV box that we all we focus our attention to, but. One interesting thing that people don't realize: uh, assault rifle is a is a direct translation from German from the Sturmgewehr, and that was a, that was a propaganda thing that Hitler did when they came out with that gun. He called it the Sturmgewehr to to incite fear into the into the enemy, and that's where that comes from. That term, assault rifle, I which is pretty that. interesting. That is interesting. That's very mm -hmm. interesting. I, I always tell people that you know it's it, this day and age is not like it used to be. Back in the day, you'd give Bobby a shotgun and say, Bobby, go out and get us dinner. And Bobby would go out, you know, eight-year-old, right? You'd go out and slay a deer, field yeah, dress Yeah, come, come back when it's dark, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He'd come back, throw the back straps on the counter, and, Mom, dinner's ready to cook up. Mom would come out and cook it up. You ask an eight-year-old eight-year-old where milk comes from now, what do they say? Uh, store. The store. A box. Right, right. A jug. Almonds. Still trying to figure out how they milk them almonds. But, oh. you know, you, you got... <laughs> they, they they don't know. People don't know what they don't know. In these days, that we're so where it's not like it used to be, where people were educated with firearms. It was like you know spurs on your boots because you had to ride a horse to work. Everybody yeah. had a gun. It's not like that anymore.
Well, and it's it's such a taboo subject. And it doesn't need to be. You know, I I have I've pounded my fist about how I'm against mandatory training, but I am entirely for mandatory training in grade school. Mm, Sa- like gun that. safety training. I like that. Yeah. That's the kind of mandatory yeah. training I'd be for. Yeah. You wouldn't even have to even have a gun in the school, but just talk about it for Pete's yeah. sake. You know, we we tell kids how to use how to use uh, condoms, condoms and things right. like that. You know, right. why not? And you know. Why not talk about guns? Give them the safety rules. Explain that this side, there's a bullet that comes out that could hurt you. And this this little thingy down here, if you touch at it, could make it go bang. You know, and it, and demystify it because well, it's, it's not, a tool. Not just that. It, I mean, imagine if the kids were, they were explained how the gun worked and then they turned around and they were in a school with an active killer. Do you think that they'd be able to maybe save the life or save their own life if they got up close to the gun? They knew, okay, his finger's not on the trigger yet. So if I control the gun and his finger isn't on the trigger, then there's a chance I could live where otherwise they're giving up. I had, I had somebody. It just tell, opens up more and more possibilities. It does. It gives positive you things. Most definitely. I had somebody say to me, uh, you know, if I, if I'm somewhere as there's an active killer, I'm just going to play dead. Okay. They know you're not dead. They didn't shoot you. <laughs> so <laughs> well, they're like, well, what do I do? What do I do? They've got a gun. I'm like, fight, fight like you've never fought before. What, what, what's worth living for? What do you have out there that you enjoy, that you love, that you don't want to ever be left without, right? Your family, your, your wife, your husband, your kids, etc. Fight for that. Fight them. Yeah, I don't. I don't mean to laugh like I'm laughing at that individual that said that because no. a lot of people feel that way, but yeah. they don't. They don't, they don't feel know. that they're able to do anything right. because they're told from the flashy box that only law enforcement, military should do this. You're a civilian. You should crawl down and play dead. Right. And that's not the case. You know, name an animal on the planet that doesn't try to defend itself if it's back into a corner. Yep. Now, now the possum will lay down and play dead. So the possum may be an exception to that rule. But outside of that, every animal, you you corner it. And I've had many in my chicken coop. They will fight tooth and nail to get out of there yep. and, and to, to preserve their, their way of life. And so th- there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to take steps to defend yourself, especially your, your own children and your family. Most definitely. It's, you know, we, we have to not only protect our children and our, and our family, we need to protect my son's daddy or, or, you know, your children's daddy or their mom, you know, that's, that's important. That, that brings up a good point too. And when, when people tell me, well, you know, it's, it's New York state, I have a duty to retreat, but I don't have to retreat in my dwelling castle doctrine. I'm like, well, it's true, but just cause the law says you may, doesn't mean you must. And what is your ultimate, what's your ultimate goal to stay alive, to, to support your, be able to be around to support your family, to be there for your family. That is your ultimate goal, not to win a gunfight. Maybe. I mean, it's Russian roulette. You don't know if they're coming. There's five of them. They're on PCP. They're all armed, and you're a shitty shot. I mean, I do private lessons for people that need it. But, you know, if you've got a situation like that, you don't know what's coming through that door. So why would you want to stand there and wait for them to hurry up? I got dinner to make. Get in, get in here so I can shoot you. I mean, it just, that doesn't make sense. Get away if you can get away. That, that makes the most sense. Well, you know, my company is called the Trigger Pressers Union, and, and if I press trigger, my life changes. Uh, in the context of a dynamic critical incident, especially, yep. and and I, I don't want to change it, you know, and I don't want to have have to a put my family through that if I right. don't have to, if I have a choice, and also I'd rather not have the dead guy room in my house, you know, and and so it's important. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should is one of the one of the topics we talk about in the ICE courses, and I think that's that's a good thing to keep in mind. Definitely. You know, we talked earlier about re- evading, barricading. Let's let's. Let's give ourselves the opportunity to be efficient. And when seconds count, police are minutes away. That's why we have the firearm. Well, man, if we can buy police those minutes and let them do the job, yes. then that's even better. But that doesn't mean that I think that 
citizens shouldn't arm themselves and oh, take definitely. proactive steps to 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 uh, protect their family. I think yep. that's important. That's part of that responsibility that needs to go into it. Let, you talked about the extreme risk protection orders, and that's something here that's happening in Pennsylvania too with House Bill uh, 2227. Mm-hmm. And those those extreme risk protection orders are very Orwellian and thought police kind of thing, and they really, really, if they don't completely remove due process, right. it greatly Reduces, greatly yeah. reduces it. Yeah. And it puts law enforcement into Danger. into jeopardy unnecessarily, unnecessarily. We've seen this in other states now where where people uh, had had uh, had bad encounters with one another, law enforcement and civilians yep. that didn't necessarily need to take place. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it, it's scary in a sense like that. Even with the whole confiscation thing, every other officer I've talked to, they're you know, they're like if the governor says go out and pick these guns up, yeah, that's not something that most most people are going to want to do because it's the Second Amendment right. You know, it, it's it's tough on the mental aspect, but if we really go back to the Second Amendment, all right, the Second Amendment shall not infringe. It it's the right to be able to have it. I heard a conversation on the radio the other day. They were talking about uh, felonious acts. If you have a, a, uh, any felonies on your record, then um, the thought process of having New York State trying to another thing they're trying to pass is if you have a felony as long as it's not a, a, a violent felony then you can still keep all your rights voting rights and gun rights and stuff um, yeah I mean I I struggle with it because obviously somebody who's a felon who's done stuff wrong by the law could be doing stuff wrong with a gun I, I kind of get that but then again I struggle and I go back and look okay what does the Second Amendment say I don't see anywhere it says felony. I don't see you know where those rights well, are stripped from something they did. Like if, that. if someone did something and then they served their time and, right. and they're they're a good citizen now, yeah. they have every right to that. Yep. I, I truly believe that. I, I actually have had a few instructor candidates that that I've had to turn away because they did some really stupid stuff when they were younger, but now they're in their forties. Mm-hmm. They're they're an active member of their community. They want to give back, but I I can't do it because mm-hmm. of policy of the of the uh, parent organization, but that those people do exist. And if you, if you did your time and, and you're a member of society giving value to, you absolutely should have that right, uh, yep. right put back. Uh, our, in uh, the Allegheny County Sportsman's League, we've, we've secured the services of Josh Prince, who is a, a lawyer here in Pennsylvania. He's actually, I believe right now arguing at circuit court in DC against the, uh, the uh, bump stock bans, nice. but uh, he's he's been successful with getting a lot of people their rights back. And one of the things these these extreme risk protection orders do is by the due process being eroded or eliminated, people that might not necessarily have committed a crime are getting their guns taken away or potentially could have their their rights taken away from them. And again, if 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 your answer is to take away the rights of someone who is law abiding, then that's that. We just can't have that in a constitutional republic. And whatever happened to to innocent until proven guilty, you know? I, I think most law enforcement and judges would agree it's probably better to let a guilty person go than an innocent person be incarcerated. Yeah. So I think that the thought of that, you know, the the, the innocent until proven guilty needs to be in place. If, if you look at the, the vehicle aspect of it, Right, somebody's driving a car and they have a DUI, DWI, or something to that ex- expect. You don't turn around and start banning cars or putting, you know, more things in place for regular legal law-abiding citizens who are already following the laws so that they can't get it. Somebody gets a DUI. How many times do we see somebody who has a DUI and kills somebody and then they get out and they do it again and again and again? How many times are they going to? 
end up committing that crime and kill people or hurt people before we actually enforce the laws that are already in the books. It's the same concept with the guns. If somebody does something wrong, I take it very seriously that I'm carrying a firearm. I'm carrying it for self-defense. The last thing I want to do is pull that gun out and use that gun, even when I'm on duty in law enforcement. I don't want to do that if I don't have to. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to try to use verbal judo, uh, stay out of the situation, situational awareness, uh, you know, paying paying attention to my surroundings, etc., and use tools to my advantage to be able to thwart that effort without having to use deadly physical force. Because, like you said, you squeeze that trigger, there's an attorney attached to it, and your life will change. I mean, mm-hmm. and even in the even in the mindset of all of the different controversies that have happened in the past. I mean, you look at George Zimmerman, which you know I interviewed him, as you know, George Zimmerman, his whole life changed, and he mm-hmm. was trying he was trying to do the right thing, didn't do anything illegal, was still uh, prosecuted, and obviously persecuted by a jury of public opinion. All that happened to his life. And then you've got Darren Wilson with the, with the Missouri, Ferguson, Missouri, with the hands up, don't shoot with Michael Brown, uh, and even up to now, certain certain ones that are happened. So from 2013, really, the George Zimmerman case, uh, that really is what blew everything up, and, and it's just everybody, it's anti-guns and, and uh, this vile system of guns are bad, and you, how dare you use that to defend yourself against a, a criminal. Hmm. <laughs> Well, again, you know, the limitation of any law-abiding citizen's rights, in this case, Second Amendment rights, but maybe it's Fourth, Fifth Amendment rights, heck, even First Amendment rights, it doesn't matter. If there's a limitation on it and that is is an elected official's response, then that's not a response that I'm interested in. Misplaced. Absolutely. Absolutely. Education and the exercise of rights is always the answer in a constitutional republic. And that's, that's what we live in. Now, it might not be treated that way. It is treated like a democracy in many cases, but but we need to realize and recognize as law-abiding citizens that the Constitution and the Bill of Rights is there. It exists, and it does guarantee us certain rights, and, and it's there. Right. So we need to exercise those rights. And, and you know, I, I always, this gets, people are uh, kind of give me the stink eye when I say this, but, you know, we all, we all love the American flag. My family has blood in that flag. Mm-hmm. And I will always display it properly. I will fold it properly. I will, I will do everything I need to keep light on it at nighttime. And I will, I will revere and, and honor that flag. And I've taught my son to do the same thing. But pledging allegiance to the flag as a civilian, maybe that's misplaced. Maybe we as civilians should be pledging, a, pledging our allegiance to the Constitution, just like law enforcement and military do when they take their oath. Yeah, you know, for the Constitution, uh, the Constitution of the United States, for, and to the Republic for which it guarantees. Mm-hmm. I think that would be something to think about. Yeah, I, world world would be a different place if I ran it, Matt. Yeah, you're, when, you're, <laughs> when you're running for elected office, never. Nah, never. see that. No. See, that's the. That's, I'm the guy behind the guy. Man. <laughs> that's that's me. Well, it's uh, it's like what every, behind every good man's a good wife or woman. Yeah, I guess I should avoid absolutes, but I don't ever foresee any future possibility of of running for any type of office. It's, uh, but it's, I I will offer my services to anyone who wants to do that and help educate them and and uh, give them my two cents. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a tough uh, a tough game, you know. And and I use the analogy: politicians will tell you what they what you want to hear, no matter which side you're on. And and that's uh, I think it, that goes back to the beginning of our founding of our country. It's been like that, but we definitely need real people saying what they mean and meaning what they say and taking our rights away one uh, one bill or one law at a time is not going to stop bad guys from doing bad things. No, no, it's certainly not. 
And and I think history has proven that pretty pretty conclusively. Uh, the last thing I want to talk about in, is as far as specific legislation in Pennsylvania, we have House Bill 768, which is a Firearms Registration Act mm-hmm. that's uh, being brought up and discussed now. And I think it's important that my pencil, fellow Pennsylvanians uh, write and call an email uh, voicing their disdain against that registration has historically led to confiscation and there's there's plenty of of evidence that to prove that notion but you know i i just did a phone interview with a with a local newspaper just about an hour and a half ago about this and and i said you know that would be like me having to register every copy of the bible i have in my house i mean it's my right to have that property and why would i need to register that what what good does that do right. what is the outcome goal for that if your outcome goal is to stop crime well you're only affecting law abiding citizens and as we've already established criminals don't care about the law anyhow they that's don't. that's kind of one of the distinguishing characteristics of being a criminal right yep so uh, make sure you make sure you uh, write your elected officials about house bill 768 and then federally uh, HR eight, which is the uh, the bipartisan background check, no. which is a feel good thing that's not going to change anything. And those that understand how the purchase of firearms go, uh, understand that that it's just it's a feel good measure. Yeah. And man, if they dedicated that much time, effort, and energy to solving real problems and and actually working together to solve problems, imagine what we could do. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a it's a scary scary time right now in our in our country's history. And we definitely need to stand up and do stuff. That that's the the hardest part is everybody complains about it. New York State, Cuomo would have never gotten reelected if if it was enough gun owners that stood up and actually voted them out. But yeah. we get people that say, well, it's you know they're not going to take my guns, and I really only use it for hunting. Well, eventually you're not going to be able to use it for hunting either because if they they take it from everybody, they're going to take it from you too. They're not just going to say it's only for hunting, and it has nothing to do with hunting. The Second Amendment has nothing to do with hunting, and I wish people you know get that out of their out of their mind. It is a right that we have to be able to keep and bear arms for self-defense and to keep the government from turning into a tyranny, period. And the hunting is just the fringe benefit of that. It's another thing that we, we use firearms for. It was a given back in the day. That's what they used mm-hmm. to put food on the table. So we need to stand up. We need to make sure that we're out there. We're voicing our opinions, putting the pressure on these politicians and, and respectfully, but letting them know that, no, this isn't the way you do it. This isn't going to this isn't going to help. This is just going to make it more cumbersome for people to defend themselves against bad guys who don't pay attention to your laws in the first place. Yeah, I think it's important that you that we as gun owners or as heck, even if you're not a gun owner, you know, just just as a as a responsible citizen, let these people know that you vote first and foremost. If you don't vote, then start voting. Oh, yeah. And and let them know. Yeah, I even vote for dog catcher, dude. I am a super (laughs) voter, man. I got a cape. Let them know that. And it's important that we not only send emails. That's good. Picking up the phone. That's even a little bit better. Yep. But writing a letter, sending in a piece of paper with a stamp on it is huge. Yeah. And uh, they, they kind of go off of this metric, the, the elected officials, and they'll say, well, if someone bothered to call, it's worth this percentage of my constituency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the emails are good, but they're, they're probably valued a little less because they're so easy to do. But someone sends in a stamp letter, man, that's big. Mm-hmm. And one time I was in Harrisburg and there was a particular uh, legislator down there who was pushing some anti-gun, anti-gun bills. Uh, he took his name off of one. Now, he didn't speak out pro-gun or pro-liberty, but but he kind of stepped away from that. And I, I asked him, he, I said, what what made you take your name off of that? He said, 12 people sent me a letter. 12? 12. 12. 12 people. Wow. And that was enough pressure for him based upon that metric 
that he felt he should back off from it. So don't underestimate the power of putting a stamp on something, communicating. When you call, call their state office, but also call the local oh, office. Cool. Yep. And if they're not there, leave a message. And then if you can, try and call back later. But as I said earlier, gun owners will, will trip over themselves to go touch a new SIG or a new, you know, feel the new Glock Gen 5s, yep. but they won't pick up a phone or send an email or a text to a legislator. And I think that's, that's misguided resource usage. So yeah. I think we need to be a little more active as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I mean, you talk that even on the other aspect of it when it comes to sports and how, you know, how excited we get about sports or we get about Black Friday and standing in line all hours of the night to get that TV at a discounted price. I mean, that's the kind of energy we need to put into politics that we need to put into our elected officials and making sure our elected officials are held accountable and that they understand that we're not going to put up with this they, they need they work for us and they need to do what's right by us and make the the law enforcement allowed to be able to enforce the laws that are already in the books and hopefully the judges uphold that and actually put uh, lay the law down against these bad guys because i as being foster parents we see that all the time you know, parents will get their kids back, and, and the next thing you know, the kids are with a mother in a cardboard box or living in a, a, a shelter because they she fell it fell apart again. And we knew right mm-hmm. from the get-go. Shouldn't shouldn't have went back home. She wasn't ready. We know she wasn't ready, but the judge really, really wanted to reunite, a, a reunification. And, yeah, anyway, I went off on a tangent. That's all right. We, we've dedicated a lot of time to this section, maybe a little more than what we originally allocated. But I think it's important, you know, you and I are telling this to one another and our viewers are going to see this. Yep. But it's important that we spread this gospel. Definitely. And it's, you know, I, I've been trying to change the, change the narrative. It's not a pro-gun thing or an anti-gun thing. It's a liberty thing. It's a yep. rights and liberty thing. And with the Bill of Rights, it's a package deal. You know, we have all these rights. They coexist with one another. Some support the other. You know, a lot of people say without the second, you wouldn't have the first. So I like to to package it as a as a uh, as, as a as a group of rights that we have. And you are either pro liberty or you are not. Like and if you are pro liberty, then you are by default pro pro Second Amendment. Yep. So I think changing that narrative it certainly helped me. Maybe at least talk to some of my music and film clients that I have, which generally lean a little more right. uh, away from the right. Um, but it's it's been a good way to open up a dialogue. And I think if we just come out pro-gun, pro-gun, it does turn people off because right. of the conditioning that they have from the media and from TV shows and stuff. And, and we need to recognize that and do our best to navigate those waters so that we can come to a, a, a common ground. And that common ground should just be liberty. So consider that when you're making these these arguments or, or stating these cases in front of uh, new people. It's a liberty issue. Yeah. You, and, and we all are for liberty. We're all for the First Amendment. We're all for Fourth and Fifth Amendment. We should also be for the Second Amendment because it, it's a package deal. Uh, most definitely. Well, well said. Well said, well said, Clint. Super. Well, I, uh, I think that's a wrap for our first episode. And I, uh, one more thing I want to say. Go for and it. This, i got to push in there. Uh, tonight... Actually, tonight we're, we're going to be we're taping this, so it, this will have happened already by the time this airs. But uh, there is a little girl in in a nearby town who is the daughter of one of the people I've had the honor to train as an NRA instructor, and Kaylee Hicks was nine years old mm-hmm. when she received her distinguished marksmanship badge from oh. the the NRA marksmanship qual program. She awesome. is the youngest person on record 
as receiving the NRA Pistol uh, Distinguished Marksmanship rating. Wow. And so there's a little party tonight for her, and, and uh, I just want to congratulate her on that, and I That's hope cool. she continues with her career of shooting. She loves to shoot. I believe she's working on the rifle program now. Those of you that don't know, the NRA Marksmanship Qualification Program is something that is self-paced that you can do on your own. A lot of instructors will will uh, facilitate that and lead people through it, but it gives you, uh, it's a goal-oriented course of fire, and you can earn ratings through it. And it's a program that's been running nonstop since 1903, which is pretty impressive. But awesome. uh, congratulations to Kaylee Hicks for uh, earning her Distinguished Marksmanship Badge in the uh, NRA Pistol Marksmanship Qualification Program. Congratulations, Kaylee. Well, that's all we have for you. Make sure you uh, like, subscribe, share, let everybody know about the show, and please make sure you definitely let us know what you want to see, what you want to hear, uh, what you want us to blow up. Did I say blow up? <laughs> Mythbusters. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot yeah. of Tannerite. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. So, Well, thank everyone for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, from Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union, we bid you adieu. Meet the Pressers.